We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 30th, 2018 edition of the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at AmITheRealBlair, and my co-host is Hassan Rahim, who you can follow at HR5010. Hassan, what's up? Hey, Blair, what's going on? You know, training camps have kicked off. Uh, information's coming in fast and heavy. Uh, this is time where we got to really pay attention to what's actually actionable and what is pure noise. And I'm really excited today because our guest is a really good one. Yes, that's right. Our, joining us today on the show is Chris Rabon. Chris is a senior editor and NFL slash NBA analyst for the Action Network. Uh, additionally, Chris is the co-host of I'll Take That Bet on ESPN+. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Rabon. Chris, thanks for joining us. How's it going? It's going good, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I like this little intro. We're gonna we're gonna mock the ridiculous NFL news. I think I want to do just a lot of mocking, man. This sound this sounds pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, half, at least half the fun of the show. Um, before we get going, I want to ask you about. Um, I'll take that bet. That sounds really intriguing. Can you take a minute and just say what what that's all about? Sure, sure. I actually just finished uh, recording an episode, which will be out uh, later to uh, later today. Which uh, essentially the show is it's two guys, and uh, we have a fantasy style draft with ten real bets. So um, it could be like, for example, the episode we did today was just the over under win totals for 
uh, two different uh, divisions in the NFL. So the NFC North we did and the AFC uh, South. And, you know, you just kind of go back and forth and then have a couple of player props mixed in. And it's we're just trying to, you know, each guy gets uh, five picks. So you're just trying to kind of get the best card of, of the bets you feel the most confident in. Um, and then we just kind of, you know, spend a couple of minutes, you know, talking about why we took the bet, why we like it. Um, if we disagree, if one guy makes a pick and, and the other person is like, nah, I would actually take the, the opposite side of that, kind of give him a little shit or, or just kind of, you know, have some fun with it, really. That's what we're really trying to do, just make people smarter about betting, but also have fun with it. Because it's like, uh, you know, most people that are betting, you're not, you're not, they're, you're not work, doing 40 hours of research a week. It's not your full time job. You're betting because you want to have some fun. Uh, watching these games so that's what we that's what we try to do but it's really cool it's it's a bunch of rotating co-hosts myself uh paul laduca former mlb catcher uh black jack fletcher jeff schwartz former nfl offensive lineman um so a lot of a lot of good people and it's uh it's a fun show you guys can check it out on the espn app it's on espn plus you can stream it anytime awesome yeah definitely want to take a look at that that uh sounds like a lot of really interesting content if you're into sports betting for sure uh, let's jump into the news. Item number one, Josh Gordon recently tweeted that he'll miss the start of training camp, but he has every intention of being ready and available for the season. The Cleveland Plain Dealer reports that the vibe around Browns around the Browns camp is that Josh Gordon will rejoin the team after a brief respite. Uh, obviously, we all are hoping for the best for Josh Gordon, but Chris, how concerned should fantasy players be with this situation? And uh, how do you expect him to... Or what are your expectations for him, given the, uh, you know, all the pass catchers Cleveland has this year? I mean, I think he's clearly the best one, so I'm not too worried about him from that perspective. I think there is always, I don't think too much change, only because when I when I do my projections anyway, I'm not sure. You know, I think some some people have different kind of methods, but uh, the way I kind of do projections and and rankings off those projections is I'm projecting not just the median projection, but the ceiling and the floor of a player. So. I already kind of had it factored in that, hey, there's a chance that this guy could miss a, a ton of games or, you know, maybe even the whole season. So um, not too much has changed. I mean, it's I don't I don't exactly know what you know, what what the true story is of what's going on. But I mean, everyone maintains that he's he's still clean. So that's a good thing. And, you know, I guess if you really wanted to go deep into it, you could kind of approach it from a, a statistical way of saying, OK, you know, what's the chances of somebody relapsing, um, you know, kind of compare that to the amount of times he's going to get tested this year. And you could kind of, I guess, come up with some type of odds as to what, you know, what, what the chances are of him getting suspended again or whatever. But um, I think from just, you know, so he, he's got a low floor. That's, that goes without saying. Um, he's also got a pretty, pretty high ceiling. I think this probably, whether it's Tyra Terra, which it seems like it's going to be, or, even Baker Mayfield, I think it will still be the best quarterback he's played with of his career. And, you know, we saw last year, he pretty much fell out of bed and played pretty damn well considering, you know, he, he caught less than 50% of his passes because Deshaun Kaiser, who was the guy throwing him those passes, um, still put up pretty decent numbers, still had some 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 good, some good plays and some good moments. So uh, I, I really like his upside. I think where he's getting drafted, um, you're kind of, it's people are kind of taking in that, that, that risk well, so I'm, I'm fine kind of drafting him, you know, in that, in, in the third, fourth round. I think that's, that's fine. You, you're going to, that, that round is, especially this year, I think, and maybe, maybe even the last couple, um, you know, early in the draft, it's always about floor, but you kind of lose those, those high floor plays pretty quickly. And so 
Um, I have no problem kind of taking a shot at upside there because I'm also I, I I tend to stockpile a lot of running backs and receivers and and wait on tight end and quarterback and so I, I kind of go into the draft with the understanding. Obviously, I'm trying to hit on every pick and especially you know early on, but I'm kind of going in with the understanding that hey, you know, I'm going to be shooting for the fences and a couple of these guys might not pan out, but that's why I want to have depth and then find value at the positions where there's going to be a surplus that I can kind of get later on, like quarterback and, and tight end in a traditional league. Yeah, actually, I, I kind of like your note where you mentioned he rolled right out of bed and just sort of garnered so much so much opportunity the second he walked onto that football field. They targeted him 11 times against the Chargers of arguably one of the top secondaries in the league. He, you know, his when you're looking at the uh, road of his stat explorer, Gordon didn't go under 100 air yards in the four games that he played. His whopper rates from anywhere between you know it's his minimal whopper 0.66 and a high of 0.85 it's clear that they want that they see gordon as their own alpha we're hoping for nothing for the best for him Uh, there was an interesting rumor going around surrounding des bryant and the browns what are your thoughts on that chris ah man i mean des uh it's it's like i think realistically that would be that would probably be one of the better places um, one of the better fits for him at this point, just because he doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to, he won't be relied upon because that's the whole thing. It's like, I think he still thinks of himself as probably a number one, um, but he's more realistically uh, a number two and maybe even just an average one at best at that. And so um, that's why he's unsigned because he, you know, he's not getting the kind of money he wants. But if you go to the Browns, I mean, just from a team fit, I mean, Corey Coleman, We'll see if he pans out, but anytime you could add a guy who his main job will be to to catch red zone, to catch passes in a red zone, um, I think it's a good look because teams are going to have to pay attention to Gordon. They're going to have to pay attention to Landry, and and if you, you you put a guy like Dez in the mix, I mean, who do you double, right? And and then you know Jarvis Landry, for all the shit he gets about his you know low yard perception and whatnot. Uh, one thing that was really interesting, and I know red zone percentage isn't necessarily correlated from year to year but he did step up last year and kind of show that he could be uh, a guy that you can throw to in the red zone you know I'm not saying he's going to continue that percentage and score another eight or nine whatever touchdowns he had in the red zone last year but um, at least he showed that he's capable of doing of doing that so if like if you're let's say you're you have Dez and you have Gordon and you kind of double those guys on the outside commit the safeties to those guys now you have Landry on a two-way go where he's just got to beat one guy and he has two directions to do it in so um, I, I think Des would be a solid, solid landing spot there. I think you know New England always comes to mind just because you, you have you have a, a culture already kind of set in where he would have to fall in line. It's not like he's going to be. I don't think he'd be as much of a disruption or distraction necessarily on New England as he'd be maybe in some other places with some you know quarterbacks who who might not be as good. He, he might get frustrated with or whatnot. So I think New England. I mean, New England's talking about you know Kenny Britt might have a a role, a substantial role. So, I mean, I, I think Des Bryant's still an upgrade on Kenny Britt. So um, I think that's another spot where, where Des could go, but Cleveland wouldn't be, wouldn't be too bad. It's just, would they, would they be able to, would you not be able, would you not fuck it up essentially is, is the question. <laughs> uh, if Des did sign with the Browns or maybe even with the Patriots, where would you be comfortable taking him in like a best ball draft, if at all? Uh, uh, not, not anywhere substantial i mean probably outside the top 40 outside the top 50 probably like in that range like once he'd probably be a wide receiver five for me because 
I mean, you got to kind of learn the new playbook. You're not going to be the same number one target that you were in Dallas. Uh, you, you know, lost a, lost a couple of steps as far as, you know, he's just a lot slower getting in and out of his break. So and he, he's, his main contribution, I think, is going to be touchdown based. And we all know how kind of unpredictable touchdowns can be. There's a lot of variance. So, you know, just because a guy gets a lot of red zone targets doesn't necessarily mean he's going to score a lot of touchdowns or, or or even just because a guy scored a lot of touchdowns one year doesn't mean he's necessarily going to do so the next year. So I think it's he's not a guy that I'm really kind of excited about no matter what. I, I know a lot of people kind of have him ranked in this this weird purgatory where it's like not quite starter worthy, but like kind of still high on him considering he has no team and we don't know where he's going to go. So um, for me, it's just kind of, I'm not, I'm not really too excited. I, I'm, I'm kind of trying to find, you know, the, the next Des or the, you know, like the, 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 the next guy, like, or somebody that's a little, little younger, healthier, more athletic. I mean, Des has kind of just been through the ringer already, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of winding down. A lot of these big bodied guys, it's, it, it's tough for them as they get older. Not everyone can be like an Anquan Bolden or, or Larry Fitzgerald and reinvent themselves in a slot like that. So it, it gets tougher for some of these guys. As they get older, they lose a couple of steps. What's actually kind of funny to me is that if they really do sign Dez, is that like a signal that they have no interest in Corey Coleman? And I guess would Dallas be the most natural fit for like Corey Coleman to end up at? Uh, I mean, does Dallas really need another questionably good receiver? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't know. Like Corey Coleman, I think the Browns shouldn't give up on him. I mean. He definitely has some talent, and he, he, when you're on the Browns, especially these last two years, it's not like you're put in the best position, especially with the quarterbacks that he had. And he did flash some potential uh, in, in, in his rookie year. He just was hurt a lot. So I don't think they should give up on him. I don't know necessarily that I can recommend Dallas taking him on. I mean, for all that, Dallas could have just kept Bryce Butler um, if, you wanted, if you wanted a guy to kind of go downfield and do some things. But um, I, I think – would it be a sign that they're giving up on him? Maybe, or or maybe it'd just be a sign that they think they can really contend. You know, I mean, they seem to also be going forward with with Tyrod Taylor, and um, yeah, they feel like they improved their defense. Their offense should be decent as long as again, as long as the coaching doesn't bring it down. I mean, they brought on Todd Haley, who didn't wasn't very good in in game situations. You know, that's probably why he got fired from Pittsburgh. He's pretty good at scheming and whatnot. And he did a lot of things to help Big Ben's career from a schematic perspective. But when it comes time, like in-game play calling, situational play calling, things like that, um, Todd Haley's not always the best. So, I mean, I could see it kind of going going a little wrong. But, I, you know, I think, I think the Browns are just kind of like the rest of us with Corey Coleman. It's like, we know you're talented, but show us something. <laughs> NBC Bay Area suggested Jarek McKinnon is a candidate for – 1,500 yards in scrimmage. Chris, uh, last season, Carlos Hyde totaled almost 1,300 yards last season, and the 49ers obviously view McKinnon as an upgrade, especially in the passing game. What are your expectations for McKinnon this season? I like him. I like him as like a fringe top 10, top 10 fantasy back. I think you got to, when you look at you know, like his range of outcomes, I think at the high end, you can kind of look to a guy like Devontae Freeman and the way Kyle Shanahan used him, even though, you know, uh, uh, Tevin Coleman, excuse me, was around for for a lot of that. I think that's that's kind of somebody you can look to as far as usage goes. I think we kind of saw what McKinnon can do last season in space with the with the Vikings catching the ball. 
And I, the real question with them is just durability. But once you get outside those kind of, once you get past like Melvin Gordon and Leonard Fournette and, and you're kind of into this next tier of running backs, they're all risky in some way, shape or form. And McKinnon has a chance to be a, a, a guy, a three down back on a team that I, I think anyway has a chance to be really good. I think on offense that has a chance to be really good. So, uh, you know, I think 1500 yards, it's, it's, it's a lofty expectation. It's not, it's definitely not out outside of the range of outcomes, but I think it, uh, it's going to come down to his durability and his health. And, you know, can he, can he handle, you know, I'm sure they'll give him high workloads to start the season, but how is he going to react to that as the season progresses? Is he going to be able to keep it up? Um, because I think, you know, just from a court, from a perspective of who his quarterback is, who his coach is, um, they made some good additions on the offensive line with McGlinchey, uh, Weston Richburg is a guy who I actually talked about on I'll Take That Bet. We did a, a episode that's already out now. Uh, it's on the, the it was on the NFC West, and uh, you know I was talking about how I think that offensive line is Weston Richburg from the Giants is like kind of like Alex Mack was when Shanahan was in Atlanta, and that first year Matt Ryan really struggled, and then they they added Alex Mack, and that offense really took off. I think that this could be a similar type of addition if he can stay healthy. So I think McKinnon has everything in place to to have a huge season. It just comes down to can he can he can he hold up. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Devontae Freeman comp uh, in the Shanahan offense. Um, I think that's probably about right. I, you know, do have a lot of high expectations for McKinnon, but I'm also interested in who's probably going to be his backup, Matt Breida. Do you think he can kind of occupy that Tevin Coleman role? Absolutely. Actually, on the Action Network, on actionnetwork.com, we do. Well, I have fantasy rankings up myself, uh, Matthew Friedman, who uh, I know you guys are, are familiar with from his time over here, and um, and Sean Corner, who won the who's won the number one uh, rankings accuracy three years in a row. So we all have rankings up. But we also have previews for each position where we essentially just blurb each each player. And w- what I wrote for Brita was Tevin Coleman arbitrage. I think that's a pretty good comparison. Just terms of the type of player they are and the type of role that they could occupy in the offense. Like I think McKinnon's definitely going to be the guy to get more receptions and, and more carries, but you're going to, you could see Brita kind of still getting some catches, still getting some carries. And I, I don't think they'd be afraid to use him in any part of the field, including, including the red zone even. So um, I think, I think, I think Kyle Shanahan will have ways to kind of uh, creatively scheme him plays the same way he he did for Tevin Coleman back in Atlanta. And you might you might see Breida have one of those seasons where maybe he only gets, I don't know, 100, 120 touches, but he scores like eight touchdowns um, if this offense is as good as I think it can be with Jimmy G. Yeah, and that's actually one of the reasons why I'm really, really bullish on McKinnon. I mean, I think all of us in our, in our little community are pretty stoked that he's on the 49ers. But like you said, that additional red zone, red zone equity, because you're – at a uh, you know you're on an offense helmed by a franchise quarterback like there's no way to really like beat around the bush with with Jimmy G it's just it's it's, it's exciting to think what this backfield is capable of and uh, I guess we shouldn't really expect much out of Joe Williams or Jeremy McNichols on this season yeah man I I was talking to Ian about about this yesterday and it's I guess it's kind of related but it's it, these guys are a little little younger but in general for me it's like these kind of recycled backs, running backs, these kind of like post-hype running backs, they don't – generally kind of guys I stay away from. I, I just, you know, in my experience, as long as I've been playing fantasy and kind of watching the NFL, I mean, we all know that running backs have 
a real short shelf life. But also it's like when, when you don't, when you see a running back who's not like when there's not a specific reason, like if, if Leonard Fournette gets drafted and let's say, you know, he, he, he goes down after five games or something, that's different. But when you see guys kind of that are fringe NFL players anyway, and then they don't really do anything in year one, whether it's due to injury or just whatever it is. I mean, at the running back position, it's usually not a position that I'm like, Oh, well now in year two, you know, it's just not unless you're just automatically slotted into that opportunity um usually not guys that i'm really interested in because you can nfl teams by then you know they another year passes you get a whole new crop of of rookies and, and, of, and of guys to come in and you, as a running back you can play right away so i mean i'm not too high on like kenneth dixon uh, amir abdullah i mean these guys they just don't really they're not the kind of guys i tend to invest in uh, in, in fantasy and in DFS and dynasty or whatever, I'm kind of just on to the next. And I think NFL teams largely think the same way. Yeah, I think I pretty much agree with that. I mean, you know, McNichols was cut from the team that drafted him. That's never a good sign. Right. Every once in a while, you'll get like an Alex Collins or something. So I, you know, I shouldn't, but it's true. You know, that's something you just react to as it happens. I mean, no one really knew what was going to, like he was going to sign with Baltimore. And then once he signed with Baltimore, you know, you started seeing him get a few more touches and then you if you're you just pick him up or you play him in DFS or whatever. But um, as far as like going into the season with, you know, oh, let me let me keep an eye on Jeremy McNichols, you know, even in Dynasty, it's like mm, not not really not really what I'm what I'm looking for. For sure. I mean, last year when when Colin signed with the Ravens, I wrote a piece about uh, why you should consider picking him up off of waivers uh, when he made that transition primarily because the Ravens were in the process of transitioning from a pass-heavy offense to a run-heavy offense. Uh, all their off-season personnel changes sort of dictated that. And Greg they, Roman. Yes, sir. And mm-hmm. Terrence West went down, and it's clear they needed one of those guys who they viewed as a two-down grinder. It wasn't till much later in the season where they finally unleashed Alex Collins and even trusted him more in the passing game. And then they signed him to the, you know, the RFA tender. And clearly they're hoping to ride him as hard as they can this season. And like you said, you just got to adapt to that once the situation presents itself. And I think I think you're spot on here with the uh, Matt Breida might just be the Devin Coleman in this offense. Yeah, because they I mean, San Francisco is just pretty. I mean, Shanahan in general, uh, if you kind of look at personnel splits. Kyle Shanahan's not one of the most heavy kind of three wide plus shotgun guys. Like he's a lot more balanced than maybe people might think for a guy who is considered a very uh, forward thinking offensive mind. And he incorporates a lot of, you know, fullback, a lot of two back sets, and he incorporates the running back into the offense a lot. So there's certain teams that that don't do that as much. And there's certain teams that do it, uh, you know, above average. And Shanahan, I think is definitely one of those guys that, you know, uh, his second running back might be the equivalent of like a, a second wide receiver on most teams or something. You know, it's it, it's just it's just every coach is kind of looking at his offense and saying, what players do I want to feature and what players do I want to get the ball to? And when, when Kyle Shanahan, just a guy that I think he would, you know, if he could, if he has if he has two r- good running backs, I feel like he thinks he can get a lot out of them. And a lot of the numbers back that up. If, you know, some of Warren Sharp's research has kind of shown that I believe it, I think. Might be misquoting this, but I think it's uh, on first down when you're passing. I think uh, passes to backs and tight ends are actually more efficient than passes to wide receivers. So, uh, you know, 
going up from that perspective, you can kind of see why you would you would want to feature your running backs a little more prominently throughout the game plan. So uh, Kyle Shanahan's been doing that for a while. All right, before we get into No Shit Shit No, I want to take a moment to remind you you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our premium NFL content, and it supports the pod. Uh, you can also support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotoviz radio channel on iTunes. Do that, you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to a future episode to hear if you are the winner. Uh, as I mentioned last week, we also have an FFPC $35 entry to give away if you rate and review the individual feed for this show, the Fantasy Football Report. Uh, so go ahead and do that. Get your review in with your name in it, uh, and you could probably win a free entry. Um, you know, if you listen to the show, if you like it, it's something that really helps us get uh, the word out, helps other people find our show. So definitely take a few minutes, get in your review, and, uh, you know, you could win a free entry. Uh, if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the Rotoviz writers and podcasters, you can also email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com, and we'll get that set up. Now let's get into no shit, shit, no. First item, according to the Chicago Tribune, Mitchell Trubisky's early camp performance could best be described as inconsistent. Uh, I mean, no shit, but it's, it's early. I mean, you can't, a lot of these training camp reports, I, I, you have to pay attention to them because you do every once in a while you do glean something important, but, um, I wouldn't be hanging on every practice and every camp. I mean, the bottom line is his, his coach has improved. So the play calling should improve. Um, his supporting cast has improved and we've seen a lot of quarterbacks to post poor, to mediocre numbers, their first season that are, that are high draft picks, turn it around in their second years, whether it's with a new coach or not. I mean, we saw Jared Goff do it. We saw Wake Bortles throw 35 touchdowns in year two. We saw Marcus Mariota with a 26 to nine touchdown to interception ratio in year two. Ryan Tannehill got a lot better statistically in year two than he was in year one. So I think most signs point to some type of improvement. I mean, Maybe there's people out there, I guess, saying, you know, kind of looking to, to the Sean McVay situation with Jared Goff and, and thinking, okay, Trubisky can make that kind of jump. And I mean, I'm not saying it's out of the question, but that's probably a little, you know, that I think that's going to probably go down as an outlier. I mean, there are a lot of things in place. And McVay is a special, um, you know, not you shouldn't take anything from McVay. I mean, he's a, there's a reason he got hired as the youngest head coach. I mean, that guy's obviously special, obviously knows um, what what he's doing. And also... Uh, when you have a, a, ta- a guy to the talent of Todd Gurley, who I've, I've talked about him many times. I remember coming on. I don't know if it was this show or if it was a different Rotoviz show, but I remember after that horrible season he had, I was, you know, somebody asked me like, should should I should I kind of sell on him in Dynasty? And I was like, why? Like he's, you know, he had like his worst. He had a horrible season, but he still was like over 70 yards in, in almost every game. And, you know, you, you know, it's, it's like, this guy has a pretty high floor for, for, for being, for having a terrible season. So, um, uh, and, and now we kind of saw the other side of that last year where he was just a back to being amazing. So I don't think Chicago has that level of talent on the roster yet. And so I don't think you're going to necessarily, you shouldn't expect that big of a jump, but I think there's definitely all signs are pointing to him making a, a significant a leap in year two, given how bad his numbers were 
not only because he struggled and because the supporting cast was bad, but just because he didn't get that many chances because John Fox and, and Dow Logan's kind of pretty much had the training wheels on all year. They were very run heavy team. And I think they will be a lot more pass heavy this year under Nagy. I think that's something that will, that will kind of change. Carson Wentz is still eyeing a week one return from his ACL tear. I, I'm going to go shit. No, only because I think that they have such a good backup. Anyway, like he tore his ACL. It wasn't very long ago. And it's like, I think week one is kind of pushing it best case scenario. And I think he might be ready to go week one, but if there's always, there's still a lot of time between now and then, and you know, something could happen like a little minor thing in practice where maybe he gets dinged up or something like that. And, you know, I, I don't think they take any chances because they know they can win with Nick Foles. So I go shit no just because of just because of that. I think he's on track to play week one, but I, I don't think it's it's set in stone yet. NFL Network's Tom Pelissero reports Martavis Bryant has yet to hear anything about a suspension from the NFL. No shit. I mean, it's been reported for a while that everything, nothing was doing. So uh, you got to kind of just approach him like like you would have. I mean, he's kind of in that Josh Gordon camp where you know that you know, one misstep could be, could essentially be the season for him. But uh, at at this point, his ADP is at a place where you're not really too concerned with that anymore. The Texans plays Dante Foreman on the active pop list and GM Brian Gain is not sure if he'll be ready for week one. No shit. I mean, most, a lot of running backs and athletes in general don't come back from Achilles injuries. So, uh, not looking good for him. Out of curiosity, uh, do you think Lamar Miller is going to see another price increase after this one, or do you think his uh, ADP is should sort of remain constant? Um, when, how, he, he, what, what did he jump from? I didn't even I, – I was always high on him, so I, I didn't realize. Like I know he kind of like fell out of the – in like certain ADPs on certain sites, he like fell out of the top 25. Is he back? Like where is he at now exactly? No, he's sort of kind of maintained since then. I just uh, – I'm worried that like we're going to double count for this additional news on Foreman. Oh. <laughs> you, um, you know where he ends up being uh, being taken off the board as RB9 or something? I don't know. I mean, I, it, I guess it just depends what happens – um, I, I see what you're saying. I I think he'll. I don't think he'll go that high. I think it'll probably he'll probably peak at uh like running back 15 ish, which is actually where I have him, which is a lot higher than most, I guess. But I think I, I don't think he'd go any. I don't think he'd start going before like Joe Mixon or maybe even Jordan Howard, honestly. Uh, just because people are pretty down on him. I think a lot of people saw when Alfred Alfred blew out carried him down the stretch but I think that was more to do with the, the Texans were out of it they were on their third quarterback of the year it just didn't make sense to to and they had a bad offensive line and they still do but uh it didn't make sense to kind of bang him into the wall in, in those last couple of games because they were going to need him in the next season and I, I think I, I think it's he he has he's a, he's a really sneaky pick because you know the main problem with him and this is always something you you, you, it's not ideal, but the offensive line is is pretty bad. At least on paper, right now it looks pretty bad for Houston. I think PFF has them rated dead last, so that is definitely a red flag. But the Texans, if you look at the look ahead lines for Vegas and or you look at the win totals, all that, either one, um, you know, Texans have the easiest schedule in the league, and so we know that running backs you run. Teams run because they win. They don't win because they run. So from that perspective, 
you, you could have Lamar Miller out here getting a lot of work and, you know, Foreman's, Foreman's out now. So that's not really going to be a competition. We know Lam- Miller has some pass catching ability as well. So he's a sneaky, sneaky three down back, I think. I think that's really why I like Lamar Miller even because every running back has risks once you get past, again, that like Melvin Gordon, Leonard Fournette tier. Every running back has, I would say, pretty decent risk in there. So um, I think I like Miller. Uh, I'm really, I'm really high on him just because I like that upside. I like the schedule. I like the fact that he's. If you look at his numbers with Watson, they improved. Uh, touchdowns went up with Watson. So I think you have. There's a lot to like about Miller, and he's kind of, kind of being a little bit overlooked right now. ESPN's Rich Samini writes the Jets are open to trading Teddy Bridgewater. No shit. I mean, they have three quarterbacks, and Josh McCown, as old as he is, showed he could still play solid ball. Um, he's the guy that you really want mentoring Sam Darnold. You don't really want to have Teddy Bridgewater. It's funny that his name is Bridgewater because at this point he's kind of a bridge quarterback. I mean, that's what he would be because you, you know that you're, the final destination is Darnold. So why, you know, why kind of mess around and, and take reps away, even in practice? I mean, a lot of people, you know, since these, these new collective bargaining agreements, these guys do not get a lot of practice time. So Every practice rep is valuable. And I think at this point, you know, you're still going to have McCown on the roster, so he's going to get reps. So why why kind of take reps away from Sam Darnold and give to Teddy Bridgewater when you know he's not a quarterback you're looking for in the future? Like, I, unless, unless maybe you're trying to move on from McCown and hold down to Bridgewater, but I, I think it's better. I think you're better off trading Bridgewater. I, I, you know, I, I'm not too big of a fan of Bridgewater just because I don't know if he has that the arm necessarily to, to, to consistently – connect downfield the way he needs to to uh, to, to really win in, in this in this in this league so uh, I would I would trade him too any place you'd like to see him end up or are there any any teams that you think he could start for probably start for the bills um <laughs> well it's, uh yeah I mean I the bills probably most the most glaring one because just because there's so much uncertainty out there at their quarterback position, but I don't. I believe he'd be best suited as a backup. The Athletics' Jeff Zriebeck writes that the Ravens remain Joe Flacco's team. I mean, what are they supposed to say, right? It's you know what. I mean, what even even as if you're a beat writer, what are you supposed to say? I mean, if you're a beat writer, you have relationships with these guys. You you talk to these guys. Joe Flacco is the guy that won them a Super Bowl. He's been the guy for them. Um, you're not just going to go and say this is Lamar Jackson's team or something like that. But uh, I think Flacco's on notice. That's that is very clear. But at the same time, and believe me, I we can be critical about Joe Flacco all day. But at the same time, you have to be fair to him in the sense that he he had an ACL injury one year. He had a pretty bad back injury the next. Um, so that I'm sure that kind of contributed to some of his some of his struggles, along with the fact that his supporting cast was not up to snuff. They, they, they whiffed on that Perriman pick. They whiffed on a lot of, a lot of moves they made in terms of skill position players in that offense. So um, even some of the guys that are you know doing well for them now, like Alex Collins, it's kind of almost like they stumbled upon him. So, uh, you know, I think they're flack. I think they want him to be Flacco's team. I think they'd like for it to kind of be Flacco's team where they can use Lamar as, you know, kind of as more of a gadget guy. They don't need to make him, uh, their starter in year one, but I think if you start seeing Flacco struggling because that team they have a good defense and um, they're I think they're you know they were nine and seventeen last year that just choked at the end unfortunate gave up a big play to Cincinnati and missed the playoffs but 
I think they think of themselves as a really good team. I think they are a pretty good team. Their, their schedule's tougher this year, but I, I think that they should still be a, a nine-win team again, and I think they should be challenging for the playoffs again. And if Flacco is not performing, I think they'd. I, th- I don't think they'd hesitate to go to Lamar. I actually like that call about the Ravens being a very strong team. Uh, I think uh, I did a post, a couple of posts for Rotoviz a while ago, uh, projecting 2017 Pythagorean wins and who got lucky, and then I projected out for 2018. There's always an issue with projecting using Pythagorean because it doesn't it doesn't take into account like all the personnel changes, but. The strength of schedule via for, for uh, using the Pythag state that the Ravens faced one of the soft, softest schedules in 2018. And Pythag has them neck and neck with the Steelers in terms of the AFC championship. Uh, it's actually given the Ravens a slight edge, if only because the Steelers face a slightly tougher schedule. I like everything that you're saying. Out of curiosity, uh, have you guys discussed the Ravens' uh, win total uh, over on? Uh... Yeah, we actually that was this, that's the episode that's out right now. So the one that we we recorded uh, a couple days ago. Um, so yeah, if you guys want to check it out, it's it's there. It's on ESPN Plus. Um, you just go into the ESPN app and you go to like Watch Now, or and the, you you kind of just you'll you'll see it. It's not too far. It's usually pretty um, prominently placed, but um yeah I, my, my I, w- I went over that was one of my picks actually I went over I think it's eight or eight and a half I forget but yeah essentially like I looked at the schedule and I mean I, I don't think the schedule is 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 that easy uh I think it's if you look at it but it's it's not hard it's more like there's there's a lot of winnable games there and given that this team has a veteran coach they have a veteran quarterback uh they they should have a pretty decent running game they're getting Marshall Yonda back they have pretty much every defensive starter returning from a defense that was very good last year so I I I think that not only should we kind of think that this is a a good team you know if you're kind of if you're a handicapper or a better or whatever but I think in the building in the in the Ravens building I think they think that they're a good team and that they can challenge in the AFC and that and I kind of I kind of said my, my whole reasoning for picking the over on their win total was last year they were a nine and 17 um and they had a, a real rough go at it on offense. They were not a good offense at all. And I just don't think that they can get any worse this year because I think there's just like a, a kind of a floor built in because number one, again, you know, Flacco's healthier than he was the last two years. Two, you have at least on paper what what looks like a better receiving core between Crabtree, John Brown, and Willie Sneed. And I'm not very high on Crabtree to be, to be uh, full disclosure, but just overall kind of the cumulative effect of, of those guys, plus the, the tight ends that they drafted, Hurst and Mark Andrews. Uh, I think I think there's, you know, it's it's better than last year. And I think if if it if it comes to the point where it's not somehow, I think they will make the switch to Lamar and it will be at at least as good as last year. So like I think either way the floor is what is what they did last year. I believe they were like twenty first or something like that in points per game. So I think that's their floor, and they and they were a nine and seven team last year. So with ten point four wins, ten point four Pythagorean wins. So I I I think it's I think it's 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 kind of it's a solid bet for me uh, to make to make on that over. And it's I, I'm I'm liking Hayden Hurst uh, as a kind of a sneaky tight end pick late in drafts. And you know I think Lamar Jackson if if he gets a chance, I, I don't think he'd be any worse than Joe Flacco. So um, yeah. Panthers coach Ron Rivera said that it would be ideal for Christian McCaffrey to handle 25 to 30 touches per game. Mm, shit, no. I mean, he did He did handle 
26.9 per game his last two years in, at Stanford. So he handled about 670 touches over his last two seasons. So it's not that necessarily he can't do it or he hasn't, but I, I don't see why you would uh, do that because he's not that big of a guy. And it's not like he showed some, you know, Jamal Charles, LaShawn McCoy-like rushing ability. So, and you did get C.J. Anderson. And you have Cam Newton there, who's going to another guy who can kind of do some of that work uh, as, as a big, bigger back. So I, I don't think that that's realistic. I think this is a time of year when you kind of get these bogus stats thrown at you where, you know, a coach will say, oh, I want to get Tavon Austin 12 to 24 touches or I want to get Christian McCaffrey 25 to 30. It's like, I, are these dudes looking at stats? That, look, did they even know like what the average back is? gets like I don't it doesn't seem like it's sometimes when you hear these quotes so I think that's more what that is I mean I wouldn't be surprised if his touches per game went up and I think either way he's a really safe fantasy pick because I kind of talked about it with Alvin Kamara if you if you look at Alvin Kamara's stats and you you essentially him and Christian McCaffrey had the same exact workload pretty much last year carries receptions everything and so for the people that were kind of scared to draft Kamara that early on the on account of yeah he's maybe he might not he doesn't get as many touches maybe as some of the other guys that are going that high. If you just look at that the way that workload breaks down though, when you're a guy who's catching eighty balls and you're still getting you know ten carries a game or or, or eight to ten carries a game or, or more, it's just a really safe fantasy workload because you know even in non PPR you're still it's, you're still just racking you're going to rack up more yards per per target than you are per and per reception than you are per per rush so uh, it, it's just a really safe fantasy workload and Kamara if you took if you just don't project any increase in workload and you kind of cut his efficiency down cut his touchdowns in half you know give him McCaffrey's um, you know give him McCaffrey's efficiency. He's still what McCaffrey was last year, which is like a borderline RB1 and, you know, a mid-range RB2 in fantasy. So really high floor for that kind of workload in general. But um, just for him to – for McCaffrey to be uh, – potentially get a few more touches per game, that's just better – good news for his upside. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I just don't know if coaches really consider what they're saying. It sounds mm-hmm. so weird. Do, do, do you remember <laughs> the Davon Austin – 30 touches a game. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, that's what I just said. Like, yeah, they're like 12 to 24, something ridiculous. Like, have you ever looked at a box score, coach? Like, <laughs> who's, <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's just a, it's just guys kind of talking and saying things to say things. And a lot of people are writing things to write things. And there's, you know, they're trying to find content, man. It's, it's tough for, especially if you're not a fantasy guy and you're like, you're just covering the NFL. It only, I mean, there's, there's issues to talk about. There's always something to talk about if you're good at what you do, but, um, I think a lot of times people struggle for, for stories at this time of camp and they, they don't know, they don't know what's, you know, they, they just kind of asking coaches questions and coaches, they're just kind of saying whatever. And then next thing you know, these, these kind of weird bogus stat projections start to circulate. Browns coach Hugh Jackson doesn't expect Baker Mayfield to get many first team reps in training camp. I, I'm going to say no shit. I think, I think they like, I think they like Taylor. I, uh, it seems like, they intend for Mayfield to get some experience sitting and, and learning behind a, a veteran quarterback. So, and I think Taylor, listen, he was never in the best situation in Buffalo. He definitely has some flaws. He doesn't tend to see throws over the middle as well as most quarterbacks. Uh, misses some throws. When I say misses, I, I mean uh, doesn't make the throw, or doesn't see the throw, not inaccurately throws it, but he, he misses some throws. 
over the middle, especially. But at the same time, he can be a, a competent, he can be a competent NFL quarterback. Is going to be the best supporting cast he's ever had. Uh, so I think they're they're kind of committed to giving him every, every shot at keeping that job through training camp and starting in week one. Now, you know, Baker Mayfield was the first pick, so you won't rule it out that he could start earning more reps. But I, I would say at this point, he's a he's a sizable underdog. Danny Amendola has been working as the Dolphins' top slot receiver throughout OTAs and the first practice of training camp. No shit. Uh, I mean, Albert Wilson can move around a lot more. So I know when they gave away Landry, when they let Landry go and they got Amendola and Wilson, everyone's kind of looking at it like, okay, these are the two guys that are going to kind of combine to replace Landry. But Wilson is a little more versatile. He can move around. He can play outside. Or he can play the slot, whereas Amendola can only play the slot. So it makes sense to kind of at your 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 base package or your you know your default starting unit. You'd have you'd have Amendola out there because you're not really gonna split Amendola out wide, have him isolate um, too much. Whereas Albert Wilson, he can he can give you a little more. So uh, that's not surprising at all. It's just with Amendola, it's just really how long can he last? That's the whole thing. I think he's still even at this age, he can still be pretty effective and. We've kind of he can be even a high volume guy. I mean, you might even have an outside shot at that Landry kind of volume because you know Amendola is a guy who can you can catch seven eight balls in a game for like sixty yards. But the question is, how long can he last? Because it seems like anytime he gets a a big workload, he ends up getting hurt. He's not he's not too he's not too big of a guy. So that's really the question with Amendola. But I think you know Albert Wilson. He had a really good year last year. He, but it, it was a lot to do with the players around him. You had Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey really kind of manipulating the defense away from a guy like Albert Wilson. You had Matt Nagy and Andy Reid drawing up really good plays. So I don't know. Albert Wilson, you know, I, I think Miami might be a little higher on him than 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 they should be. The Indianapolis Star continues to believe six-round rookie wide receiver Deion Cain could push for serious snaps. No shit. I mean... Chester Rogers and Ryan Grant, that's who he's competing with. What about, uh, you don't think Ryan Grant's uh, got a shot? I like Ryan Grant. Ryan Grant was always one of my favorite preseason guys. Uh, used to play him a lot in preseason DFS. and But I don't know. Uh, I, it's not, I think he has a shot. I think he's the odds-on favorite to start uh, in, in two wide sets. But I also think that it wouldn't be hard to displace him I don't think he at this point I don't think he's bringing anything more than replacement level uh, ability he's a pretty he's a pretty good blocker from if, if I remember correctly but from a pass catching standpoint he's not really doing anything special so if if Kane can kind of show some pass catching catching chops and show that he can help Andrew Luck out a little more than you know Ryan Grant I think they signed him to be kind of a reliable guy who knows what's going on with him physically uh, you know, he had the, the big contract with the Ravens, which was interesting that, and then uh, it got voided. So he had to go here. So I don't know. I, I think, I think Grant is the favorite to start Rogers behind after that. But I think Kane has a, a good shot because these aren't guys that would be hard to replace. These are kind of replacement level talents that you're just hoping one of these guys steps up. Speaking Thursday, Tyler Eifert said he is 100% certain he will be ready for week one. Uh, I'm gonna say shit. No, uh, he's it's tough with Eifert. I mean, he's every report out of camp except this one has essentially been this dude back is messed up and he can't. He they don't know what's good and how he's when they're gonna get him back and whatnot. So I, I 
I don't know. With back injuries, it's always tough because you never know when it's just going to kind of act up or, you know, have a setback or something. He hasn't really played a lot of football over these over this last year or so. So it was last few years, really. So I, I'm kind of skeptical as as to him being ready for week one or that he might, you know, stay healthy. Even if he is 100% now, it's still, what, like six weeks to go? So he, he could easily get hurt again. I'm not too confident not too confident in him in his health at this point but I, you know as, as far as drafting him in fantasy you can if you can get him as you know you're getting him as a, a tight end too he's a solid upside play to upside bet to make you're not paying too much for him but I wouldn't really be depending on him yeah hasn't he missed more games than he's actually played it, uh, I have I don't have the numbers in front of me but yeah it's it's something ridiculous where you know he has double digit upside a uh, double digit touchdown upside if he plays, but it's, yeah, his, his health, man. It, and it's been, you know, I know, I think injuries don't really correlate year to year. Like there's no such thing as quote unquote injury prone, but yeah, he's, he's missed. He played two games in 2017, eight games in 2016, even in the, uh, the year he caught 13 touchdowns, he only played 13 games. So that kind of shows he was upside, but at the same time, uh, you know, in the year before that he played one game. So he hasn't played more yet. He's played, uh, 24 games in the last four years and his rookie year he played 15 so really hasn't been able to maintain health ever since his rookie year and that's you know that's something you just have to kind of factor in when you're valuing him nfl.com's greg rosenthal reports that cowboys offensive coordinator scott linehan has been talking up rookie round third round rookie michael gallup's red zone ability I mean, no shit. You know, they're definitely they would like to depend on him because they have no choice. I mean, Terrence Williams, at this point in his career, you know, even if he's good off the foot injury and he's, I think his legal situation is is going to be fine. But he's not really giving you any any difference making ability at this point in his career. He didn't even score a touchdown last year, and he was out there a lot. So I think, you know, I, I like Gallup. I like I think he's a solid all around guy. He's kind of a. Uh, jack of all trades master of none kind of guy but they are looking they're gonna need somebody to step up in the red zone I don't really think Alan Hearns is that guy uh you know so I think they are going to give Gallup every chance to to win a to win a a role in the in three wide sets with the team period Um, I also think Cole Beasley is an interesting sleeper he was he caught he led the team in catches two years ago then last year everyone was so slow on the team. I mean, you had Dez, you had Witt, and you had Terrence Williams kind of just running clear outs and not impacting the game much. And so teams were able to kind of zone in on Beasley a little bit. And of course, he's not, you know, good enough to beat double coverage or anything like that. And so he had a pretty bad year. At times, he just kind of, they kind of just went away from him. They went with, you know, two wide receivers and, you know, Beasley wasn't on the field. So he had a bad year. But this year, I think they're going to, they, they realized that that was one good thing they had with Dak in his rookie year was that with that connection with Cole Beasley and word is that they're even trying to line them up outside of Woodmore. I don't know how successful that's going to be, but I do think that they are, they are looking to kind of get him more involved. And there is such a opening in terms of targets that are available in Dallas that I think that's kind of in, in PPR. That's a guy you could just literally draft with your last pick. Like you could take a kicker in a defense before him and you'll still get him. And, and I think that's a guy that might end up catching, you know, 60, 70 balls and have some value in PPR. The Chicago Tribune reports second-round rookie Anthony Miller is steadily building a case to be the Bears' starting slot receiver for Week 1. No shit. I think fantasy people were on this from the jump with Miller. 
a lot of, or people who uh you know pay a lot of attention to you know the draft prospects and kind of build models and project out i think miller is a guy who profiles really well and he you know he, he drew some antonio brown comparisons um not not obviously to that the talent level but you know kind of similar kind of what what they can do and i think i would be surprised i would say i would be surprised if miller doesn't have it doesn't gain a prominent role in that offense sooner than later um, whether it be week one or week four but i don't think he, the year the whole year goes by and he's a non-factor i think he's he could end up being one of their their, their top their top receivers honestly because i mean taylor gabriel is more of a you're not really feeding him too much volume he's a guy that's gonna he's gonna give you some big plays he's gonna He's going to maybe take a, a screen or two to the house or beat somebody deep, but he's not giving you a lot of volume. Allen Robinson, who, I mean, they want him to be the number one, but there's still some question marks as far as he had a really bad season and then he tears his ACL. So now, you know, he's another one of the big body types like Des Bryant, where you always got to be careful with these guys, especially coming off an ACL, something like that. You always got to kind of temper expectations a little. So, if Miller's a guy who can kind of show some ability to create some separation, whereas a Rob might kind of settle in as that Des Bryant type of guy where the, the, the speed could be a little diminished coming off the injury. And he's more of like that jump ball, Calvin Benjamin, Des Bryant kind of, kind of guy, then you're going to need somebody to, to be a, a, a more of a volume guy. And then now you're looking at guys like maybe Trey Burton, you're looking at Tariq Cohen and you're looking at, at a guy like Miller who could, you know, create a lot of separation. He could play the slot. He could pr- play outside if, if need be. So uh, I do like Miller. I think he'll be, I think he'll be a, a big part of that offense. I think they drafted him. They knew what they were doing when they drafted him. Jordan Reed says he feels a hundred times better than he did in 2017. Shit. No, I don't believe that. I mean, he's already like, I was talking to Ian Hartitz about this on the, uh, on the action network NFL pod that, that we just did about DraftKings week one pricing, but I love Jordan Reed's pricing on DraftKings week one. He's only 4k, but I mean, this guy is Mr. Parentheses, right? It's every time you see Jordan Reed's name, you see a parentheses next to it. Like Jordan Reed, toe, Jordan Reed, hamstring, Jordan Reed, head. Like it's always something with this guy. So I don't, I don't think he feels a hundred times, but I mean, he, 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 they, he was already limited or missing practice or whatever, something with a, with a toe injury, recovering from toe foot surgery or whatever it was. So I, I doubt that. I think that's just everywhere. It's like in one of, another one of those quotes, like I'm in the best shape of my life. Well, of course you're going to say that in the off season. I mean, why wouldn't you? What would what, you say? Actually, this is my, this is my, the fourth best shape in my life. I was actually in better shape in 2014, 15 and 17 um, than I am right now. Like no one's going to say that. So <laughs> uh, yeah, shit no for that one. Philip Dorsett was working in the slot at Thursday's training camp practice. Uh, uh, I'd say shit no. I mean, I think, you know, listen, it's the Patriots, you know, they, they'll let the best guys play, but I don't know if Philip Dorsett's going to be able to kind of transition to the slot. I think at the end of the day, you're probably going to see Jordan Matthews in the slot, maybe Braxton Berrios or somebody like that. Uh, you know, I think Dorsett, he's probably going to struggle to make the roster. I mean, I could be wrong, but from, from what I've seen out of him, he just, you know, even last year, I think he was on the field at certain times and just like doesn't really, you know, when a guy's on the field and they're not getting targeted, it's it's usually a red flag. So I know the slot is a whole different position in the Patriots offense that could lead to more success, but I just don't even know if he has really a leg up to win that job. I think it's more Jordan Matthews. I think I think Barrios is another guy that that could come on. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go shit no. The Athletic reports that Odell Beckham was getting a lot of work from the slot on Thursday. Uh no shit. Uh you know Pat Shermer pretty 
pretty solid thinking offensive mind, I would say. And he knows that anytime you have a, a number one receiver like that, like Beckham, who can go in a slot. And this is another advantage of having a guy like this instead of a guy like an A-Rob or a Dez is your number one is that these guys aren't as shifty. These guys aren't as, 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 as light, as quick. And so they, you know, they can't go to the slot. I mean, some guys, you know, Anquan Bowden was able to do it, but most guys that are big guys can't necessarily do that. But Odell Beckham can, and I, they know that, that that's going to help him get easy catches and get open more than if he was on the outside and you could, yeah, you can, you have to play him. You can play him a little differently and do more to take him away. So I think, I think you'll see a lot more of that. We know Sterling Shepard, he's a, he plays in a slot, but he, we've also seen him play outside. So the giants do have some interchangeable pieces. They got, we'll see who the third receiver is. Maybe Cody Latimer, you know, he's another guy that could play inside outside. So I think Sherman's kind of emphasizing that a little bit, you know, kind of move around, get these guys, get these guys easy matchups. You have a quarterback who's not, very mobile so you're not going to count on him to to be moving around in the pocket and and escape in trouble so you need to kind of do some things pre-snap to manipulate easy easy completions and i think getting beckham in the slot is one good way to do that randall cobb has no limitations at the start of training camp uh no shit i i'm i'm pretty high on cobb i mean i know he's had some he's struggled a bit over these past few years but if you look at his numbers when when uh you know with Aaron Rodgers last year I think he was getting something like nine targets per game and he's he's in a position where he's probably going to be the second most targeted player on the Packers after Devontae Adams if if what we saw from Jimmy Graham continues and it looks I mean Jimmy Graham's what is he 32 uh going on 33 or 31 going on 32 I forget but he's he's you know he's on the wrong side of 30 he averaged under 10 yards a catch last year he put up barely over 30 yards a game so, of course, you know, he's going to be a weapon in the red zone. There's no denying that. But Jimmy Graham's not necessarily a guy that's going to be a high-volume receiver. At least it doesn't look like he's still that guy kind of settling into maybe more like a late-career Antonio Gates where, you know, he'll still do some things for you. But at the end of the day, his main job is going to be to catch touchdowns. So I think Randall Cobb has a good chance to be that number two guy, especially in PPR formats might look up and he's catching five balls every game and when you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback you always kind of can benefit from some positive touchdown variants I think everyone probably remembers that one big season Cobb had where he had double digit touchdowns and you know he's not a guy that you really expect to get double digit touchdowns but anytime Aaron Rodgers is throwing you the football that's in your range of outcomes if you're a top top two top three option on on his team so I'm pretty high on Randall Cobb, especially in PPR formats. What are your thoughts about any of the rookies? Uh, recently, there was buzz about uh, Jamon Moore getting some run with the ones, or maybe that's just training camp hype. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, again, yeah, you have to kind of look at context here. Uh, why wouldn't you know these guys get run with the ones at times? I mean, there's first of all, when you talk about the ones, it's really three receiver spots, not two. So. Uh, of course, you know, you have Geronimo Allison's probably the favorite, but you drafted three guys. You drafted more. Um, he's very promising prospects. So I, I, you, why wouldn't you kind of get him some run with the ones in, in July and August before the real game start? I think from what we've seen track record wise from McCarthy, from Aaron Rodgers in that offense is that they tend to go with the reliable guy that they trust over the rookie like if you look at most Packers I think Randall Cobb had a pretty decent rookie year but even he kind of they started him out a little more you know return kind of guy a little more gadget kind of guy and he kind of earned his way into more more catches as the year went on but 
I, I think to start the year, you're pro- you'll probably still see Allison win that job just because he has had some time filling in for, for other guys and, and played in some key moments and has a couple couple years familiarity with Aaron Rodgers. And I think that organization especially values that. And, um, and that's what you'll kind of see, but, you know, they obviously want to address the wide receiver position. They, they, they kind of recognize that that was one of their strengths. And one of the reasons that they were able to, to, to weather the storm of not always having a running game or not always having a great defense was they always had this, this deep crew of receivers that when you have Aaron Rodgers to go along with that, it can take you a really long way because uh, passing factors into winning, more so than any other uh, facet of the game. So uh, I think they recognize that. That's why they drafted the three guys that they did. But I don't necessarily think right from week one, you're going to see more or any of those other guys starting. Uh, I think Allison is still the, 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 the favorite there. The 2018 NFL season is almost here, and the FFBC has a format to suit every diehard's interest and budget. Whether it's best ball, super flex, or classic managed leagues, there are drafts filling daily starting at just a $35 entry dollar, uh, dollar entry fee. Jump into slow or live draft today. The FFPC also features the world's greatest contest in season-long fantasy football. Come to the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas this September and draft in the FFPC main event while spending opening NFL weekend in Vegas with hundreds of diehards just like you. Can't make it to Vegas? Then draft online from the comfort of home and compete for the massive $250,000 grand prize with over $2 million in total cash prizes in this year's contest. Don't miss the FFPC experience road of his listeners. Go to myffpc.com and register now. Chris has been dropping fantastic amounts of information. You can leverage this in all those formats I mentioned. And if you're lucky enough to go to Vegas, you can probably put some of the money down and some of the future stuff that Chris has been talking about. All right, moving on to news item number three. Leonard Fournette said he is down to 223 pounds. Jaguars.com reports Leonard Fournette played in the 235-pound range as a rookie. So, Chris, do you think that by slimming down, Fournette will be able to offset some of the ankle issues he's dealt with? And uh, what are your expectations overall for him in 2018? I like him as a first round pick. He's right there with, uh, he's kind of right, kind of neck and neck with Melvin Gordon for me in my rankings. And, you know, as far as the lost weight, I I do think it would help a little bit with, with chronic ankle issues. But at the same time, I don't think it's something you can really uh, adjust a projection for him based on because the bottom line is running backs are just always going to be at higher risk of getting injured than any other position because they're running into a group of like 10 plus 10 or more guys that, you know, can kind of fall all over you, fall into you, or you're, you're, a lot of guys kind of closing in on you, gang tackling you. So, you know, running backs, they're always going to be at risk for ankle injuries, but uh, you know, maybe some of the chronic issues, you know, it always, it would help just because, uh, you know, anytime you're bot, you have a, a lot of body weight on, on something like an ankle and you're constantly putting, you know, exerting pressure on it, you know, cutting and, and, and running and all that stuff, it is going to add up. But I think it almost might be more of a, I would say like a pain tolerance issue. Like he might feel better. Uh, his ankle might feel better because he's carrying a little less weight on it rather than necessarily limit his injury. Have you thought a little bit about uh, who the guy to back him up is? Are you drafting TJ Yeldon or Corey Grant as the backup in best ball leagues? I love Corey Grant as a player. I think he's really talented. Uh, reports out of Jaguars camp and, and just in the offseason have been that they realize that they need to get him more involved, and I think they will do that this year. So 
I've been uh, Grant is a guy I've been drafting in best ball ever since I you know started playing best ball back in I guess February March, and uh, I don't I, I don't I think I think TJ Yeldon is is also going to be involved. I think this is a team that's going to involve you know just like I talked about with <clears throat> excuse me with Kyle Shanahan. I think the Jaguars are another team that are they're going to involve their running backs a lot because that's it's it's smart. I mean the receiving core they have they have some depth, but there are a lot of young, inexperienced guys. You still have Blake Bortles. So anytime you can kind of involve your running backs in creative ways, which you can do with Grant, you know, Yeldon can catch the ball. I think all three will be involved. You know, all, both of those guys will be involved behind Fournette. I think Grant is the more talented guy. I think Yeldon was a little miscast as a feature back early in his career, kind of settled into this, uh, you know, little lessened role where he can focus a little more on on passing downs. I think that's that better suits him, and he he played well down the stretch, especially last year. So I think all three will be, will be involved. I think Grant has the talent to, if Fournette went down, I think he has the talent to kind of leapfrog Yeldon and kind of keep Yeldon in the same role where Yeldon still kind of that change of pace, third down guy. Uh, but, but Grant is, is kind of getting those double digit touches. So I, I do like Grant a little more than, than Yeldon, but I think both will be involved. I don't, I wouldn't, you know, if you're just, if you can get them cheap, you know, near the end of drafts, I don't, I'm not necessarily shying away from any of them, but if I'm choosing a handcuff, I'd probably lean Grant. Yeah. I like that note. I think, I think Yeldon's, uh, you know, value really is limited to PPR if he's not getting higher leverage touches. And like you said, I mean, Corey Grant's the amount of money they gave him in uh, when they signed him to that yeah. tender was at, yeah. the sec- at the second round, right? Yeah, they yeah they tended them at a second round level, and I, I, a lot of people, um, I mean, I guess a lot of your listeners know who Corey Grant is, but like, to the average fan, a lot of people have no idea uh, who this guy is. He, you know, he went, uh, he was he went to Auburn, but he was he was undrafted. It's just that every time he got on the field in his career, he was he was making big plays, and you could kind of you could kind of just watch him whether it be in a few times he got on the field in the regular season over these last few years or just uh, in preseason, you kind of can tell that this guy has a little bit of juice and he can, he can do some things. He had this one game, I remember this, it was at the end of 2016 where he was like, a, a, I think Min Price DFS play going against the Colts and he ended up getting 18 carries, breaking off a big run, ended up with 122 yards and a touchdown. And then... Last year we saw him, he had a game where, you know, his only double digit touch game, he had 10 carries for 69 yards against the Houston Texans. We saw him in, you know, he didn't get too much work in the, in the first two playoff games. And he kind of came out of nowhere, got three targets in the AFC championship game, turned those into 59 yards. So he's a guy that every time he's been on the field, I mean, he had another game last year against the Chargers where he carried one time and uh, went for went for 56 yards. He had another game week three against Baltimore where he carried six times for 75. So it's like every time this guy's on the field, he tends to make big, make something happen. And, you know, big plays, they're very unreliable. So you can't sit here and say that that's going to continue, but it's obvious that he has some talent. And uh, I think the team is starting to realize that. And, and, and he's going to be a lot more involved this year, I think. Yeah, I love Corey Grant, and I haven't been taking him that much just because I guess I don't know a lot of the buzz in the sort of fantasy community is that Yeldon is still the backup. But uh, after you hearing you say all that, I think I'll you know that's <laughs> permission for me to draft him. More. I mean, some teams. If the whole thing is some teams, you know, you just have to consider three backs. I mean, in on Philadelphia, I would take you know I would draft 
in PPR, yeah, I would draft Ajayi, I would draft Clement, and I would draft Sproles. It's just all about value and where you're getting them. Some teams are just going to involve their running back. Because again, coaches aren't necessarily thinking about it like, oh, I have a limited backfield share. And you know, they're not necessarily thinking as kind of in the box maybe as some of us uh, get caught up in thinking in fantasy where it's 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 a coaches they're just looking at it as okay these are the players I have and these are the guys I want to feature and yeah obviously you know there's there's going to be limitations as to how many snaps a certain guy can get but on a team like Jacksonville um, teams like Baltimore you see it in Philly uh, San Francisco uh, maybe you saw it in Minnesota last year. Like certain teams are just able to rely on heavily on the running back, and if that's if that's going to be three backs instead of two, it's going to be three backs. And sometimes you still you still can find some value, especially when you consider, you know, you can get both probably Yeldon and Grant outside the top fifty in a lot of drafts, especially in your more casual casual drafts. So um, I, I don't think either one is really a bad pick. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Grant guy, so I'm always going to go with with my dude Grant. The Eagles placed Alshon Jeffrey on the active pup list. Uh, it's not a surprise after Jeffrey underwent surgery to repair a torn rotator cuff back in February, uh, and there isn't much concern regarding his availability for week one. Chris, recently you had a fantastic thread on Twitter about Alshon Jeffrey. Do you mind summing up the thread for our listeners? And uh, out of curiosity, what are your expectations for the Eagles offense this season, and who should people be targeting in their drafts this season, uh, the Eagles receivers? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> fantastic is, I guess, uh subjective because it wasn't fantastic for everyone uh involved I I don't think Eagles fans thought it was too fantastic but essentially I just kind of noticed as I was uh I think I was going to write a blurb on Jeffrey for for the for our fantasy rankings preview on actionnetwork.com and I was looking at his game logs and I, I found that he hadn't had a 100 yard game in 30 straight games uh including the playoffs so going back to his time in Chicago and, and then all 19 games last year. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And then, you know, I remember that he had the PED suspension. And so I tweeted out, you know, he hasn't had a hundred yard game in 22 games since the PED suspension either. And it's just interesting because, and I was actually talking with Evan Silva, a great writer over there. I'm sure everyone knows who he is at, at Roto World. Fantastic matchups column every week. But he, uh, you know, we were talking about it. Like he, he was like, yeah, you know, these guys who who have been on PDs have really kind of struggled after. And, and that's kind of the point that I was raising on Twitter as well. It's kind of like a lot of these guys who have been hit with PDs for like not not like drugs or marijuana, but actual performance enhancers. It's been really spooky what's happened after when you look at guys like Willie Sneed or, or Doug Martin and guys like that. And then Alshon Jeffrey, his his yards per game went down 20 but by 22 years in a row so he used that 89 to 69 to 49 over the last three years so just kind of wondering aloud like hey what's going on and um you know I think the the rotator cuff was part of it because then Matt Harmon he chimed in and he was he 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 you know he charts a lot of these receivers all these receivers really for his reception perception which is another great uh little uh something something to read that that you can kind of really dig into really a lot of good information there and he he said you know Alshon Jeffrey faced a ton of press coverage last year I think it might have been I don't want to say it was most in the league but it might have been most in the league but I, I don't want to um misquote him but it essentially it was a ton of press coverage more press coverage than he'd been facing and you could kind of see why he would struggle if he's facing a lot of press coverage and playing with a torn rotator cuff so I think the the real question is 
how much of the statistical decline because you know he had nine touchdowns and he had a couple uh, big catches in the playoffs but overall you know his numbers and catches and yards which are the more predictive more sticky from year to year game to game those numbers are going down that's always a red flag because touchdowns are so fluky I mean look at Mike Evans you know he has 12 one year he has five the next year he has 12 another year he has five another year you know so we, we know that even when you're a talented receiver touchdowns can be kind of you know come and go so we, we should be interested in his his yardage output and his, his his receptions and the question is how much of that decline is due simply to just uh you know kind of come into a team where it's a little more balanced even though he was 13th in the league in targets and led them in targets um you know how much of that is due to just playing with a torn rotator cuff and how much is it due to him potentially um, entering, you know, kind of a decline phase. You, again, these bigger guys, we always have to kind of be on the alert for for them to be on the decline a little earlier maybe than some of the shiftier guys because of the way the rule changes have gone and the way the game has gone. Um, when you're a bigger guy and you have all that weight and you're carrying all that weight with you, um, if you kind of get banged up, and Jeffrey has been banged up over the years too, beyond just the, the rotator cuff. And so you, you always got to kind of wonder, hey, is the, are the is this starting to catch up to him? Um, you know, was he doing was he doing the PEDs um, because he had some type of issue that he felt he needed to to do that and, and take that risk for, or was it completely unrelated? These are questions that I don't I don't necessarily know the answer to 100. percent You just have to kind of look at what the potential outcomes are and kind of estimate your probability of how you know how likely it is for for each outcome and and take that into account. But I think maybe a lot of people are kind of overlooking just a lot of what's going on with him. I mean, it's not it's not ideal even that you know he's starting the the season on the PUP. I mean, you know, the, the, it's it's quite possible that maybe his shoulder doesn't heal as, as well as we need it to heal, or that he needs it to heal to to perform at at a high level that he was performing at uh, that we've come to know him for. And, you know, he might he might end up settling in as a guy who's going to catch like you know three and a half balls for fifty yards a game. And if if that's the case, then um, he might be, be be a little overdrafted now. If it's if it's a hundred percent healthy, and, and that was a re- that was a hundred percent reason for 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 what happened last year when he didn't even catch fifty percent of his passes from Carson Wentz, which was also interesting because Wentz was so efficient everywhere else. So um, you know, just a lot of I think kind of a lot of red flags or just like a wider range of outcomes with Jeffrey, where you could easily see him topping a thousand yards and getting ten touchdowns, and at the same time, you could easily see him kind of doing what he did last year, except the touchdowns regressing because that's what touchdowns do. And all of a sudden he's a very kind of middling option. So wide range of outcomes. That's great stuff. I've kind of been avoiding Jeffrey. Um, yeah, I guess for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, just it's, uh, he's got a kind of an uncertain situation. It's also kind of because Nelson Aguilar came on strong uh, last season, I guess, especially towards the end, at least in terms of opportunity. Yeah. Uh, do you think we could see like a secondary breakout from him? I think it's certainly possible he could top last year's numbers because you mentioned it. I forget. I, I forget the exact number of games, but it's over the last X number of games, maybe the last six or seven, including the playoffs. I think he averaged seven targets a game after he was averaging just around five over the first maybe dozen games of the season. And I actually wrote in my blurb for, for Aguilar, that's the, that's Juju Smith Schuster arbitrage. And what I mean by that is that they're both kind of guys who make a living as, you know, they could probably play outside, but they, they kind of make a living as these bigger slot receivers who 
um, you know, are, are getting kind of seven targets, you know, just enough targets to be relevant and performing above their expectation in terms of what they are able to do with those targets, both on on good offenses with good quarterbacks. And so it, it's kind of interesting to me that like I wouldn't be surprised if Aguilar and Juju ended up with similar numbers. And if you look at their average draft position, it's, it's a big difference. So Aguilar is definitely a, an interesting guy. And I think I think he I think he, you know, he's he's a big part of of what they do. And he, he showed that he should be. And, and Chip Kelly just kind of miscast him. Uh, it, you know, he Jeremy Macklin left and they drafted Aguilar in the first round. He's like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to put this guy into the Macklin role. And it didn't really work out. It didn't suit him. And he played really poorly. So. It, it, coaching matters, man. Coaching matters. I mean, Chip Kelly, give him a lot of credit for, for what, he, what he, he was able to get out of Nick Foles and out of uh, Riley Cooper that one year. But, you know, he's also, he also made some mistakes as far as his usage of guys like Aguilar, DeMarco Murray. We saw Murray, you know, just used poorly, you know, taking shotgun handoffs where he had no chance to get a, a full head of steam. And then you, you saw him come back the next year with Tennessee and, and have a really good year. And then you know, obviously, again, big body type. So he kind of fizzled out last year. But, uh, a lot of a lot of times these things come down to usage and coaching. I was going to ask about Kamar Macon, but who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's another <laughs> one. I mean, he's not a running back, but it's another one of those kind of like recycled players that at this point it's it's like why like you know it's this guy's not it, it, the chances of him being a factor are so new. I I do think you know if you're looking for somebody like sneaky over there on Philly, I think Mike Wallace is a little sneaky. I don't yeah. think he's as washed as like you kind of like I think Tory Smith, even though Tory Smith is younger, is probably more washed than Mike <laughs> Wallace. Yeah, Mike Wallace's air yards profile shows you still got that kind of juice and uh, should be able to hopefully. I mean, I, I've started taking him a good bit uh, just because, like you said, I mean, it's kind of difficult to see Alshon maintaining. I think really that thread that you had pushed me over onto Mike Wallace. I've been taking him more aggressively above ADP, actually. I mean, it's it's just it's like yeah, it's a nice value because he's another guy, especially for if you're just in a casual draft, you can essentially get him for free. I mean, he'll probably be on the waiver wire in week one, so he's he's gonna get a ton of single coverage. He's you know he still can like you said he still can move, and he's gonna be running some deep routes, and you know that's there's a lot of volatility there. So now you just start thinking of okay, like what kind of what kind of player can he arbitrage? Like who, what kind of player can he? uh you know produce at like a similar level to and then you say hey you know he can it's not it's not it wouldn't be absurd to think that he could produce at a level of say a Kenny Stills who is going you know probably the the 10th 11th round maybe depending on your draft and the format but you know Wallace is, is free so good situation smart coaching staff um and again I think more juice than Torrey Smith and more ability to to win some of those matchups and command some of those targets that Torrey Smith probably just wasn't commanding that'll do it for this edition of the fantasy football report special thanks to our guest chris raybon be sure to follow him on twitter at chris raybon please remember to rate and review the road of his radio channel on itunes also remember to rate and review the individual channel for this show fantasy football report for hassan rahim i'm blair andrews thanks for listening Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount 
through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub salad or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub salad or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community.